Love is the hatred of evil. Goodness is not niceness. And religion is not philosophy. True religion is to be changed from one who is evil, who loves evil, to one who repents of evil and loves good. And Romans chapter 12 is going to talk about what that mm, feels like. Also what it looks like. But there's this, there's this challenge, and I, I think it's a Lutheran challenge. It's not necessarily something that all Christians have struggled with, but certainly there are Christians who fall off the other side of the horse. Lutherans, we have trouble talking about what it means to be good and to do good and to pursue good because we're always a little nervous that you'll walk out of here thinking it's about you. And that somewhere in the midst of our effort to stir up your zeal, you'll walk out feeling guilty and ashamed and not certain whether or not you're a Christian. That's why it's imperative that what we have had go before Romans chapter 12 not be forgotten. Which is, remember, not just chapter 4 and 5 about how you're justified by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, how he is the Savior of all, how in chapter 6 he has washed you into his name so that you walk in newness of life through faith now. Not just chapter 7 about how you're going to struggle while you do this. You're going to find good you don't do and evil you do do, and you're not going to like the fact that that's happening. But chapter 8, there's no condemnation for you now because you're in Christ, that all things work for the good of you now, because you're in Christ, that neither height nor depth, angel nor demon can separate you from that love that God has shown you in Christ. And now then, chapters 9 through 11, how this is about election, that you've been chosen, that you don't actually really even get a say in this thing. He has come alongside you like a dead corpse and raised you from the dead so that you can now see. Your eyes have been opened. Chapter 12 is going to say, now because you know that, because you know he has you, you have a God who is your father, what is that going to feel like again? And so, once more, Lutherans, I'm not sure we can talk about our feelings. Is that a German thing? I don't know. But it is certainly a reality I've experienced in all my years as a pastor, and I'll say I still struggle with it too. When is it safe to talk about Christianity making me feel a certain way? The danger, the fear that we have is that I would say, well, this is a feeling that Christianity creates. This is a direction that Christianity pushes you. And you'd be like, oh, I'm not sure I have that. And you walk away condemning yourself again. And that is not Paul's intention in any of what he says in Romans chapter 12. His intention is not that you would walk away condemned, but that you would walk away inspired. So I'm, I'm nervous this morning because I want you to walk away inspired not condemned. I don't want to misattribute what Paul has said by some sort of overemphasis on the wrong thing. So bear with me as I face my own fear this morning, dealing with this marvelous text, which begins for you on page 947 of your pew Bible, Romans 12, verse 1. Or of course, if you have your own Bible, that's marvelous that you brought that with you this morning. The first thing that I think will help us see what's going on here. And it's not just a, okay, Jesus saved you, now get busy, do some stuff. Is the very first word Paul says in the Greek is parakalo. It's translated as, I appeal 
in the ESV, parakalo. Do you remember that time in the upper room when Jesus Christ says, I'm going away and that's scaring you a little bit, but don't worry, if I go away, I will send to you another comforter. Do you remember, maybe some of you are too young, but I'm sure anybody over 35 heard somewhere in their life a translation of the Bible where he said not another comforter, but I will send to you another paraclete. You ever heard that? Paraclete, paracalo. Same root word here. Paul isn't just saying, I I exhort you to do something, you should do something. He's saying, I want you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear the voice of the one who will comfort you by showing you the way to walk that's, that's good. Not so that you can pat yourself on the back. Not so that you can repay God for what he's done. Not so you can earn more from God. Just, just because it's good. And again, this is where I started here. Love is hatred of evil and unity with the good. Good works are not done by Christians because we need to, because we have to. Good works are done because they're, they're good. And it can show you a little bit of how weird we are as fallen sinful men that we don't think so. Like, uh, you tell me to do something good, and like, only if you pay me. Well, that, that's kind of evil, isn't it? Yeah, and so Christians begin to repent of that thinking. And that's very much what this chapter is about. He's going to comfort us, inspire us with a different way of thinking. So in the English, I appeal to you, I call out to you, I come along beside you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then it says, this is your spiritual worship. First, then, by the mercies of God. It's not the normal word for mercy there. It means one who comes alongside again because the state you're in, he sees it and he knows you need aid. So by the knowledge that God is coming alongside of you, then he says, present, the word means to give, to set before God, your bodies, plural, Notice the church at work here. It's not just about you. It's about us. Present your bodies as sacrifices that are alive. That's a weird thing. Like the definition of a sacrifice in the Old Testament is that it's not alive anymore. Like you brought the sheep, you killed the sheep. Now it's a sacrifice now that it's been killed. So there's this paradox going on here that you are to present yourself as one who is already dead and yet alive. And remember from Romans chapter six, you were buried with Christ in baptism. You've been raised from the dead already. So present yourself in life as one who, for whom that is true. That your life now is lived differently in the flesh than everybody else's because you are holy. That's that word set apart, holy and acceptable to God. He says, then this is your spiritual worship in the end of the verse. This is my least favorite part of the whole translation. Uh, There are a number of words for spirit and spiritual in Greek, and and this is just none of them. Uh, In fact, you can even hear one of our English words coming out of it. The word is logicane. You hear the word in that? Logic, right? Uh, So it's about thinking straight as opposed to thinking crooked. 
It's not like hard, cold logic. He's not talking about math, right? But the Greek word is about thinking in a straight line, thinking in a way that makes sense. So he wants you to present your body as a sacrifice to straight thinking as worship. And this is where there is this place at which you can't be an active Christian if you won't think about it. Now, all of us have different gifts. He's going to say that in a moment. Not everybody was made to be an engineer, and so not everybody's made to know each little corner of dogmatics. But everybody does have enough of a mind to know the story of who Jesus is and to present yourself as one who has been brought into that story as opposed to who lives in ignorance of that story or treats it like one of the many other stories out there in the world where you kind of watch it and then you forget about it as you go away. So he's going to challenge you to have your mind opened by what scripture says. Verse two, and do not be conformed. Oh, it starts with an and in the Greek. Uh, Verse two in English, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that do not be conformed there. I love this Greek word as as well, too. I'm going to say it for you, and maybe you'll catch it. I love how Greek has so much English in it, or it's the other way around. English has so much Greek in it. Um, But he says, not to be schematizista. That that probably had a lot extra on it. I'll say the word in the middle, schematiz. Don't be conformed. Don't follow the schematics of this world. You hear that? Don't be conformed. Don't follow the schematics. Don't be in the pattern of this world. And the word there translated world is actually the word aeon. You know that word. It's literally aeon, age. So to have a mind that is straight with what true worship of God is, is to have a mind that is not in the schematics pattern form of this world's way of thinking, this age's way of being. Which, of course, you know, this can be everything as crass as get yours while you can to, the way they say it these days, be safe. Be safe. Don't, don't die ever. Right? Don't be conformed to that. But be transformed, it says. That word, metamorpho, is the same word used of Christ on the mountain of transfiguration. So be transformed, be transfigured. How? By the renewing of your mind. Again, by having a new way of thinking, not new in time, not chronologically new, but better, updated, a quality way of thinking. And again, this is not only what he's already talked about, everything you know about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's coming again to do, but what he's going to say next in the remainder of the chapter. That to worship Jesus is to not walk as the nations do in the futility of their thinking, but to have your thoughts and minds renewed by the utter wisdom of God himself, thereby, from his word, able to discern or to test, or the root of that word there is to watch carefully, to watch carefully what his will is, and then it calls it three different things, good, acceptable, and perfect, The word good there does just mean good. The word acceptable means it's okay. The word perfect does not mean perfect. 
It doesn't mean like morally the best. It just means completed. Like there's nothing to add to it. So by renewing your mind, knowing the word of Christ, you know a truth that has nothing to add to it. This is the great freedom of the Christian. That you're able to take and face every single day knowing there's nothing more to add. It's all here already. All you have to do is what's laid before you. And certainly each day has enough trouble for itself. And so you will have to lift up your hand to do something. But in terms of what it might be, there's nothing to figure out. The Ten Commandments themselves are the most pristine and perfect description of what moral law is. And in terms of wisdom, there's nothing better than knowing that God has set you there to make the decision. If you've got to make a decision, you make the decision and you trust in his providence to lead you. Thy will be done. Huh? That's what it means to know completely it's finished in Jesus Christ. And you are but a stranger here waiting for his return. You're on a pilgrimage with everything you need given for you in the word of Christ. I'm going to set my Greek aside here as we move on to uh, verse 3. For, he says, by the grace given to me, notice he puts himself right beside you. He's no different. He's no better. He also is under grace. For the, by, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So notice then how the renewing of your mind is not about memorizing factoids. It's not about learning how to diagram the Trinity. It's about not thinking more highly of yourself than you should. And instead, learning to think highly of other people. To see them as the one that you are here to serve, as opposed to serving yourself. It would be amazing if we all just served each other. I mean, this is what heaven will be. I'll be so busy looking out for you. I won't have to worry about me because you'll be so busy looking out for me. And it'll all just work out. The funny thing is, it's already like that. We just don't know it yet. Like the universe is working that way. Providence means God is making it all work out. We just don't believe it. So we keep trying to grab for ourselves to protect ourselves. Huh? The renewing of the mind is learning to see that God has you completely covered. And so you don't need to think highly about yourself. There's just no need. Uh, What is pride most of the time? It's an attempt to, to justify oneself. It's an attempt to hold oneself safe again from the threats of the world, the bad and mean words people might say to you. And so you go around and you judge yourself based on everybody else around you. Well, at least I'm not like them. And you're going to find yourself doing this. Paul's not saying Christians never do that. He's saying Christians don't like it when they catch themselves doing that. Christians learn to admit, you know, that, that's a part of me I don't want to let out of my mouth. I learn how to keep that one under, under wraps. I learn how to repent of that one when I come to confession. Huh? Not to think more highly of each one, but with sober judgment, he says. Yeah, to be, uh, the word there is not sobriety. It's the word wisdom. To think wisdom is literally the word. To think wisdom, which I'll just do a kind of left-handed sales pitch. Have you read the Proverbs? Have you, have you taken up my challenge to open up that book every day and just pick one? Start at chapter 10. Just pick one every day. Read it. You know, don't just read it and go. Like, read it and then stare at the sky for like three minutes or something. Let it, let it percolate there. 
promise you, you, you do that for a year, your life will just radically change. The way you think will radically change. It's what that book's for in the Bible. Anyway, uh, um, think with, with wisdom judgment, yes? Each according, he says then, rest of verse 3, to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So he recognizes that we are not all equipped in the exact same way. In the following verse, he's going to say we're like a body. We're like a body that has many different members, you know, fingers, toes, ears, nose, all these things. And not all those members all do the same stuff, but they're all part of the body. And in that regard, his metaphor means they're all part of those who believe in Jesus Christ. The body of the church doesn't have anybody in it who does not submit to Christ. To do that is to be cut off from the body. Remember the part about the olive tree from last week. Branches on, branches off. Uh, but since you are in the body, he wants you to recognize that just because you're a finger and you're beside someone who they're a toe. I mean, they're a toe. It's gross, right? But wait, the finger needs the toe. The finger thinks way too highly of itself and the toe probably thinks way too highly of itself. All those snotty fingers always think highly of themselves. Yeah. So the idea here is that we would learn as a people to realize that's what we do. And then try to stop doing it to each other so much. And that that's worship. That's worship. I mean, this morning, singing to Jesus, that's worship too. But, but what are we singing about? We're singing about what he did. We're singing about what he made us. All why? So that we can renew our minds. Not just so the words go out of our mouth and we forget that it's on our lips, but our hearts are far from it. But that instead, it would go into our hearts, stick with our minds, and be with us throughout the week. If you don't have a hymnal at home, by the way, you should get one. Have you ever, I had someone take me up on this recently. Now I can't remember who it was that said this, but I've given the, the instruction, you know, you know, at home, if you're having trouble with devotions, open up a hymnal and just read one hymn a day. You read it out loud. Don't just sing it, just read it. And someone, I just remembered who it is. Uh, someone has been doing that for a year and she raves about it. It's amazing what it's done to her, her devotional life. Why? Because, because those words in the songs aren't just there to be pretty. They're there to say something. Huh? They're there to renew your mind again. Okay, um, getting distracted there a little bit. I want to jump ahead to verses 9 through 13 and, and be, get back on this love is hatred of evil thing, right? This is what he says here. Verse 9, I'll read it. It's on page 948 now. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. I think all of 9 through 13 is defining love. He gives 10 things that love is, but the first one is to hate evil. And again, that doesn't, that doesn't fit with the American version of love. American love is be nice to everybody no matter what they do. No, no, you're supposed to, you're supposed to hate evil. Well, what's evil? Is evil just when someone looks at you funny? No. I mean, it can be. But, I mean, you know, the, the new abortion clinic they want to put in town? That's evil. You can hate that. It's okay to be angry about that. To turn to God and say, this is wrong. Do something about it, God. To open up one of those psalms that prays for the collapse of your enemy's life and pray it about that clinic. Absolutely safe. Absolutely what you can do. Absolutely love. Huh? Love when it is not hypocritical. The word be genuine means not hypocritical. Will then not let all things go but we'll speak up for the good, right? 
unite with the good, hold fast, it says there, it means to unite with it, to have fellowship with the good, and to them that means hate things that are evil. Now, I, I don't want to leave you absolutely free to choose what is evil and what is good. We're not good as that as humans, but neither do I want to get caught up in pointing my finger at too many of what I think are the obvious evils in the world today, because you know, we can debate those things, I suppose. The rest of this section, though, 9 through 13, is going to be very clear in giving you parameters of good and evil here. Parameters of good and evil. And like I said, there are, there are 10 things that are listed. Verse 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Um, I, I just, uh, forgive me, the, the, the layout here is so poor in English. There is a series of 10 again, and they all sound and look the same the way they're introduced, and the English won't read that way. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift a little bit and preach off a note card here for a moment. So where it says, love one another with brotherly affection, what it says in the Greek is, toward the Philadelphia with devotion. Now, Philadelphia, that's Greek word, right? Means not city of brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, or in theory, it was supposed to be. Philos, meaning, uh, meaning brotherly love or, or camaraderie, uh, a love that is about family, really, a love that is about deep friendship. Uh, 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 Delphia, uh, yeah. So to the Philadelphia, to the Delphia is connected to brother. Um, to the Philadelphia, he says with devotion. So the idea here is that if you're going to love what is good and hate what is evil, start at church. Start with Christians. Start seeing other Christians as being closer to you than those who are not Christians. This is doubly tough if you have family that are not Christians because you're like tied to them, right? By nature, blood. Yeah? And yet they're further from you than your worst enemy at church who actually confesses Jesus. And you're going to have enemies who confess Jesus. And that's part of what you're supposed to work on here. How do you be devoted to those toes, fingers? Yeah. How do you learn to see others as more valuable than yourself, beginning at the church, toward love of the brotherhood with devotion? Toward honor is the next phrase. How is it here? Outdo one another in showing honor. That's not bad. Toward honor out in front, he says. Right? So in terms of treating other people with respect, that's the competition you want to win at. I'll show you more respect than you can show me. That's kind of the idea. Of course, if you actually thought that way, you'd probably be pretty proud about it. So we don't want to go there. But the idea is you're, you're in a race to show respect to others as opposed to being in a race to what? How do we normally do it? I want respect. I want you to treat me kindly. Someone comes up and they say something a little off and I go, wait, how, how dare you say that to me? It's the other way around is to see them for what they are and what they need. Next line. Do not be slothful in zeal. Toward zeal without hesitation. Toward zeal without hesitation. That when you know what you're supposed to do, you don't wait to do it with everything that you are. That's love. That's love. Next one. Be fervent in spirit. Toward the spirit boiling over. The Greek there has the implication of a pot that's on a stove and the water's coming over the top. Huh? So toward the Spirit, toward your knowledge that the Holy Spirit is in you, toward your prayers to God, not that you would say, I need the Spirit to make me boil over, but to believe that you are boiling over with the Holy Spirit. Believe that. 
But pastor, I don't feel that way. I get it. I don't feel that way either. But it's true. It's true. And the renewing of your mind in true worship of God is the promise that that boiling over will continue in the scriptures, no matter how you might feel. In fact, you can begin to see that when you have the word of God in your life at all, that's the scriptures, or excuse me, that's the spirit boiling over in your life. So, for example, if you pick up one of those Sons of Solomon prayer packets out there and try to pray them throughout the day, you might find out at one point of the day you don't want to do it. And I would encourage you at that point of the day to open it up and do it anyway. And when you open up and you do it anyway, you might find that you do it a little quicker because you just want to get it done with. And then you might say to yourself, man, I must really not believe this stuff. Man, I must be a really bad person. And, well, yes, you are, but the scriptures were in your life. That's Jesus. You weren't alone. He knows you're a sinner, and he was there with you. So my encouragement in this, again, is not to judge whether you're boiling over based on how you feel, but based upon whether the Bible's actually there in your day. And then when you can tell yourself, oh, the Bible was there in my day, that's the spirit boiling over, that'll have an impact on how you feel. It won't make you just always run around dancing, but it will lift you into something that is not a conformed to this world mind. Yeah? Toward the spirit boiling over. Uh, serve the Lord, it says. Toward the Lord enslaved. Huh? Toward the Lord enslaved. Reckoning that, recognizing that Jesus is your king. He's your, your master. Right? He's your Lord. Now, you're not free to tell him no. You're not free to ignore him. When he says to you, these are my commandments, you do that. Yeah? And in this, you know, if we aren't opening our Bibles at home, and it's because I just don't have time or I don't feel like it, remember, like, this isn't a choice for you. It's not an option. No, you're, you're a slave, and that's good. You're a slave that's going to live forever in an innocent, righteous, blessed, perfect land. So, like, just do what you're told a little bit, right? Open it up. Read it. But I don't feel like it. Exactly. Do it anyway. That's the renewing of the mind. Huh? Rejoice in hope uh, toward the hope rejoicing. Okay. Well, the hope, of course, is the resurrection and the life of the world to come. So speaking about where we're going in your own mind to yourself as a way of knowing where you're going. Yeah. Be patient in tribulation or, well, toward tribulation, patient. Expect it to be hard. Expect it to be filled with challenges. Expect people who are not Christians to hate you. Expect people who are Christians to hate you. Expect challenges. Expect people that you are supposed to be close to, to have the, the most ability to hurt you. And realize that in all of this, to remain steadfast, to be patient, to know this world is passing away and a better world is coming. Again, that is one of these ways to love. To love. To hate evil and do good. Be constant in prayer. Oh, I like this one. So toward the prayer, uh, holding on it is like the, uh, the way we could say it, but the word itself has the implication of being sticky. Sticky. You know how you like you, you put your hand on something sticky and it comes up and it's like, ah, I just ah, can't get it off, right? That, that's how prayer is for the Christian. Toward prayer, sticky. I just can't stop praying. And, and you're like, but I, I don't pray enough, Pastor. Okay, well, stop thinking that prayer is about you and begin to believe that God always is watching and hearing your thoughts. And the Holy Spirit boiling over through the scriptures in your life is making those thoughts known to God. Maybe just start listening to your thoughts a little bit. 
and find out whether you're saying, oh, Lord, as a curse or, oh, Lord, as a prayer. Well, that's important. Yeah. But toward prayer, sticky. Want to pray. Know that at any moment, an alleluia is there to say thank you to God, even for the suffering. And I'll make me talk about the coffee again. Huh? <laughs> Two more and then we're done. Uh, we got contribute to the needs of the saints in verse 13. It's toward the needs of the holy ones, toward the needs of those set apart. So that, that means the church, right? It doesn't just mean poor people. Uh, it doesn't mean only certain people at church. Toward the people in the church in fellowship, in unity, in a state of common existence. This is the same idea a little bit as that Philadelphia one earlier. To see that when you're at church, you're with people who are more like you than anywhere else. And that's because you're sharing the body and blood of Jesus together. You're going to spend eternity together. And everyone else who doesn't want that, they're not. And I know that's a hard teaching. and A lot of people don't want to hear it these days, but it's key. It's key to how we are going to be who we are, that we're different. We're set apart. And part of that is we see each other as the same shape. What's that shape? A sinner. A sinner redeemed by grace. A slave bought by God. Yeah. Final one. Seek to show hospitality. It says, toward hospitality, chasing. Chasing it. Running after it. Can I get to hospitality? What's hospitality? It is to be welcoming. Uh, it is to be welcoming. Skip ahead to verse 21. Last verse in the chapter. So all of this is to say, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. To be one who is not conformed to the pattern of this age, but is transformed by a mind made new in the straight thinking that is the word of God, is to see that my attempt to fix it with evil makes it worse. But that when I believe that Christ has fixed it, I am free to see how a new goodness is possible, driven by mercy, driven by honoring even my enemy, driven by a desire to protect and serve all around me, and that when I do that, good reigns. And this is what it means to be a Christian because it's already been done in Christ. The servant is not above his master. We don't have to do this to prove something. We're going to do this because he's proving something to you, to us. Now, there's more that could be said. It's important about uh, how to treat an enemy when the enemy is actually shooting a gun at you. None of this means that police officers shouldn't do their jobs or that you shouldn't go to court if someone steals from you. This is talking about your day-to-day -day life as a Christian. As you walk about and you find normal people, try to be at peace with all men. And rather than repaying evil with evil, repay it with good. Because you know that by the mercy of God, you've already been paid the full, complete amount of goodness in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen. Yes. Alleluia. In the name of Jesus. Amen.